Hello and welcome to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. My name is Jeff Harding and joining me in studio today is Derek Campbell. Derek, how are you doing? Great, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. Things are going well at the office too, aren't they? Yeah, we're just uh, screaming along. We are. We've got about 9,500 athletes signed up for this year's games and uh, we're just moving right along. Yeah, it's almost here. Are you nervous? Well, yes, because there's a lot to do and there's not much time to get it done yet. <laughs> I know. Aren't you nervous? Uh, completely. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, Derek, with the weather cooling off, cooling off, a lot of people are starting to hike again. I love to hike, and I know you enjoy it as well. To get the most out of a hike, one must be prepared. Writer Jessica Sanders offered seven hiking tips in an article on Active.com. So we're going to talk about seven tips to make your hike more enjoyable. All okay? right. I'll, I'll probably take these into consideration. All right. Soon. So without proper planning and packing, even a short day hike can turn into a potentially dangerous situation. So before you brush off weekday stress and lace up your hiking boots, remember these safety tips. Make a gear list. Okay. And the reason you do that is when you're getting ready to go, sometimes you just grab stuff and you head out the door. You don't even think, what do I need? Oh, yeah, especially if you're early in the morning and you're in a hurry. Right. So So make a gear list and and get your gear on your list so that you're going to be prepared. And make sure that you... um, the, the must-things have include, include water, extra water, rain gear, compass, map, and extra food, even if it's a short hike. Because <laughs> yeah. people have gotten lost on short hikes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just about did that a month ago. So, so it's some great advice. Yeah. The second one is bring a hike. Excuse me. Bring a map on your hike. <laughs> and bring your hike on your hike, too. Bring your map on the hike. Um, of all the safety tips, bringing a map is very important because uh, – you should never rely solely on GPS or technology because you can your battery can go out or you can have a weak signal. So you need to be able to use a map to find your way out. And if you don't know how to use a map, learn how to use the map. Yeah, that's great. I could have used a map last month. Could you? I could see where I wanted to go, but I needed to figure out how to get there. Some topo lines would have been fantastic. So you'd know which, where the, the course yeah. is. That's right. The next tip, number three, is hike during the day. Whenever possible, plan to hike during the day. Not only is it easier to get lost in the dark, but... Uh, when you're hiking in the home of the wild animals yeah. at night, sometimes the wild animals are coming out after dark. So Yeah, that's wise. So it's best to avoid getting stuck out in the dark without knowing what kind of critters are going to come and visit you. The next tip is know the area. And, I mean, we all want to go someplace new, but that doesn't mean you can't know the area. And you can do that by going online and researching and finding out what animals live there, uh, what poisonous plants you might be having to be cautious of, poison ivy, Sumac, so forth. I can um, see how that would be valuable. And learn about hunting seasons in areas. <laughs> right. You don't want to be mistaken for a bull elk. And uh, and then there's any hiking alerts that are available for that particular uh, area will be available at that time, too, when you search. So just know the area. The next is check the forecast. That's really important in our area. Yeah. Because it may not be raining right where you are, but if it's raining upstream from you a little bit, you can get hit by well, a flash. But most of the hiking areas around here are in the bottoms of canyons, and that's where people in washes. Like to go, yeah, so, so yeah. you need to know the forecast. The next one is tell someone before you go. This is number six. Tell someone before you go. Aaron Ralston, who wrote the his memoir "127 Hours Between a Rock and a Hard Place," is a great example of why you tell somebody where you're going. Yeah, trapped in the desert for 127 hours. I still haven't watched that show. My daughter made me watch it. It was <laughs> it was long, boring, and gory, but because I, I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. And then it was pretty graphic when he broke his arm and, and yeah. cut his arm off. Oh, I just ruined it for you. Didn't to, it? Yeah, alert. you should have censored that. <laughs> Jeez. And the next trick, the next <laughs> suggestion is stay together. If you're hiking in a group, don't get separated because oh, lots yeah. of people have been, lots of Boy Scouts, others have been hiking in a group, 
and some move ahead, some stay behind, and they get lost. So stay together. Yeah. So those are your seven tips to help you have a more enjoyable hiking. That's good. That's a good reminder, even for an avid hiker. Yeah. And, And, you know... I have a lot of people laugh at my backpack when I go on a day hike because it's got everything. I mean, it's got first aid kits. It's got all kinds of stuff. And I have people laugh, but we've had to use some of the first aid kits. So, you know, it's it's worth it. That's awesome. Yep. Well, so much for our day hike. And now joining us in studio is Dr. Daniel Adams or Dan Adams from the Red Sands Vein and Laser Institute. Dr. Adams or Dan, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Dan. Well, I'm a, a local guy, but I've, uh, you know, I went away from my education and have moved back more recently. But um, I'm a vascular and interventional radiologist. And so my specialty is kind of in uh, diagnosis and treatment of diseases involving blood vessels. Um, and so that's kind of my, I guess, we're going to, some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I, from my perspective, vascular disease is an anomaly. I don't know any much about it. So okay. is there a lot of vascular disease out there, a lot of things to be concerned about? Yeah, there is. So I think today we're, we're primarily going to talk about uh, what we call chronic venous insufficiency, uh, primary, primarily in the legs. So there's a lot of vascular disease in the body, and there's uh-huh. vascular disease involving arteries. Right. Arteries are the blood vessels that take blood away from your heart to the rest of your body, including your legs. Right. Veins are the blood vessels that return the blood back to your heart. And uh, so I think we're going to talk about chronic venous insufficiency. And it is very common. It's actually one of the most common diseases in our population. Um, It's estimated around somewhere between 25 and 30% of the adult population in the U.S. has chronic venous insufficiency. So what Uh, is a venous disease? So it's a disease um, that involves the veins and the way that they work. So um, to get blood back to the heart, the veins have low pressure in them. Right. And so they need a system to get them back. And so veins have a valve system uh, where as you, as you walk around and your muscles contract and they squeeze the blood in the veins, the valves help to kind of propagate that blood upwards in the veins, out of your legs, into your, you know, back to the veins that lead to your heart. With chronic venous insufficiency, what happens is those veins in your legs become dilated and the valves stop working correctly. Wow. And the blood starts pooling in those veins and, and leads to uh, the, the problems from, from the... I can see where that could be a lot veins. of problems. Yeah. So, um, so it's kind of like a backflow valve on your hose. It, it, lets the water, it lets the blood go one way, but it tries to stop it from going Yeah, so when it works correctly, that's what it does. It just forces it towards the heart. And then when we have disease, they, um, you know, the uh-huh. blood pools down or it kind of... Get can you know, get stuck in the legs and uh, and cause some problems with the, the back pressure from that blood. So how do you uh, how do you get started into a field like this? Um, an emphasis this focused. It, it, it seems common now that you say that yeah. it's common, but uh, I've never heard a doctor um, speak of these things. So yeah, sure. To so maybe lead us into that a little bit. Yeah. So I I started my training as a. A radiologist, so di- a diagnostic radiologist, which is primarily interpretation of a lot of the imaging studies that we have. Um, and then I did more training in um, what's called interventional and vascular radiology, which uh, we found that in the early days, a lot of the diagnosis for blood vessel problems involved putting catheters inside blood vessels to take pictures of them. 
Um, but over time, we learned how to use those same techniques to do treatment for those blood vessels. Oh, very cool. And so that's kind of how I got into that. It's not a real common specialty like a lot of the other ones. There are only a, a, a few of us in town that do the things that we do. Um, but it's definitely one of the coolest specialties. Wow. So um, you said it's very common. How does somebody recognize that they've got problems? Yeah. Or what, you know, what does it look like to, to me? Um, that's if it is that common. Yeah, so it's very common. So it's, there's a, with, as with anything, there's a spectrum of disease. So you know, if someone's listening, take off your socks, roll up your shorts, and look at your legs. The, first, the earliest signs of venous disease are these really small veins that are called uh, spider, or retic- or spider veins or telangiectasias and reticular veins. And these are small veins that will look like they're either like right in your skin or just below the skin surface, and they're red or blue, and they, sometimes they look like a spider web spider or something web, like that. Yeah. Huh. that. That's the earliest sign of venous insufficiency. It's really a cosmetic thing. There's usually not symptoms associated with that. Um, but that's really common. So most, most people will look and they'll see they'll have those on their legs. If, so, you're, if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life. We have Dr. Dan Adams visiting us with us from the Red Sands Vein and, La- or, or Vein and Laser Institute. And we're talking about vascular disease. And it sounded like you were describing what some people would call maybe uh, varicose veins. Mm-hmm. Is that what? Yeah. So, so varicose veins is the next... So we talked about the the spider and reticular veins. Those right. are the real tiny veins. And if you imagine your your veins is kind of like an upside down tree. So mm-hmm. there's a trunk of the tree, and there's all the branches that are leading back to that trunk. And as the pressure builds up in those veins from the incompetent valves, those veins leading into it are going to start getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And so as the little tiny ones get bigger, you see those in your skin, the red and the blue ones that are right in your skin. The next bigger branches are the varicose veins. So these are normally veins that you don't see. They're just under your skin, but as they get dilated, they get longer and bigger, and they bulge out, and you can see them kind of, you know, protruding through the through the skin. Um, and so that's the kind of the next step of the disease process. And when you start getting varicose veins, that's when you start getting symptoms associated with the disease. And those are things like, you know, pain, aching in your legs, um, itching, and they're symptoms that are usually caused by standing on your legs for a long time they get worse at the end of the day and usually they'll get better when you lie down at night or put your legs up in a recliner or something like that yeah that's very interesting so we i know we've jumped right into it um what what do you do to uh alleviate these kinds of things or what uh what are the other things that we should know as just uh regular lay people about um what you see in your office and how you treat people and those bits of life. Yeah. So um, let me just go a little bit more into how the disease progresses. So we, yeah. we have the little veins, then we get the varicose veins, then we start getting leg swelling. And then as the disease gets more advanced, actually people's legs start to get discolored and scarred, and that can actually lead to ulcer formation oh, really? in the legs. And that, it's not as common to see that, but that's something that can actually threaten your limb and could, yeah. you know, could result in amputation. Sure. If it happens. So the disease, disease can progress and get pretty severe. So we kind of look at, at it in two different ways. There's symptom control, controlling someone's symptoms, or trying to preserve their limb. And, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of morbidity that goes along with, with having an amputation, obviously. Um, unfortunately, unlike 
some other disease processes. We don't know a lot about how to modify risk factors or even what the risk factors are for this disease so that we can prevent it from happening. So it's going to happen to most people regardless of what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with per- vascular disease that involves the arteries that we talked about a little bit earlier, we know if someone can keep their diabetes under control or keep their cholesterol low, stay on an aspirin, um, things like that, they can definitely prevent that disease from progressing and, and prevent events. Now, those events tend to be a little more severe, so there's probably more research that goes into that to you know, explain why we know that better. But there's not a lot that we can do, unfortunately, that we know about to modify our risk for this. Wow. So, so the old wives tell about standing on a, on a hard surface in shoes without cushion isn't necessarily true. Because, I mean, that's, that's what I was taught caused varicose veins when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah. We've come a long way since then. So it used to be thought... Well, we, we, yeah, we've, we've learned how to use pencils and stuff from, instead yeah. of just stones. And, yeah, um, I've used those. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've come a long way. So it used to be thought that the, the disease was caused by a valve problem. Mm-hmm. But it's not a valve problem. It's a problem at the vein wall, the vein getting dilated, and the, and the valve stopping to work. So there's progress being made on what the disease is. And I think mm-hmm. as we understand what the disease is better, there'll be better ideas about how to prevent it and, and treat it. But yeah, as far as we know, there are certain things like, um, you know, excessive weight can contribute to your symptoms. And so losing weight definitely will help with the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as preventing the disease from happening at this point, we don't really have a good, uh, there aren't good recommendations for, for what to do about that. Wow. How, uh, I just want to say, how old is the practice of, of what you're doing? Is it fairly new? Um, just seems like there's not um, a, as much research as you might yeah. suspect if it's that common. Yeah, it's not that it's not that new. So there was there's a famous old physician named Trendelenburg that most people, if you know, if you're in the medical field, have probably heard of. And this was kind of one of the big topics that he researched. And this was over a hundred years ago. Oh wow! So this has been going on for for. Over 100 years that this disease process has been researched and treated, but the way we've treated it, uh, because kind of the technology that we have and a, a lot of the procedures that I'm able to do have really come a long way, and so surgery really isn't done for these anymore. They're all done with minimally invasive procedures that we do, mm-hmm. and so the, the treatments now are much more effective than they used to be. Well, what are some of the treatments for? I mean, my, my, my son-in-law had varicose veins in his legs, and they did one thing and it didn't work, so they, they actually went in and, and removed the veins. Okay. Yeah, so that's what they – they used to do surgery, um, you know, vein stripping and right. things like that. Um, now veins are primarily treated with what we call ablation. And the idea is um, we can't restore function to these veins, unfortunately. So we basically try to just take them out of the equation. Now, the veins that are causing the problems are the veins that are outside of the muscle compartments in your legs. Right. So they're not draining a majority of the blood in your legs. And when we take these veins out, the blood gets easily rerouted to the deeper veins, which does a much better job of of handling the blood. But basically, the treatment involves putting a catheter in the veins and um, almost like cauterizing them from the inside out and causing them to close down and rerouting the blood to better veins. Well, that's amazing. Now, does the body – I mean – I've heard stories, and, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard stories that the body is an amazing thing. And sometimes, like, it, if there's a clog or a problem, that the body will create a new route for the blood to travel. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? That, yeah, that's definitely true. So does it, does it do the same thing with the, the veins in your legs? Yeah, so when we treat these veins, uh, we're, we're 
essentially removing them from the system. I mean, they're they're still there. They scar down, but no blood's flowing through them right. anymore. So the blood that would normally be drained by those veins finds new channels to to make it back to the deeper veins and back to the heart. Yeah. Wow. So our bodies are really pretty fantastic, aren't they? They are. Yep. That's good because we're not very smart about taking care of them sometimes, I think. <laughs> Your body might be fantastic, Jeff. Well, no, you, you can see my body. What? You can see it's not fantastic, right. but I'm just talking oh, about the human okay. bodies. Oh, oh, all right. Just wanted to make sure yeah. <laughs> what you were talking about. All right, Derek. <laughs> so what does this mean, uh, Dr. Adams, to a regular person um, who may not be active? What does it mean to somebody who is active and even maybe to the next level of athletes? Yeah, so you know, when we have a patient come in for a consultation, we really try to get an understanding of the extent of their venous disease from an anatomic perspective. But what's really important is how does this disease process affect your lifestyle? And so we always ask questions about, you know, what type of work do you do? How long are you on your feet? And and does this affect your ability to work? Or does this affect your ability to maintain a regular exercise regimen or to do the kind of things that you want to do? You know, if people have pain and they, they can only be on their feet for so long before they have to lay down and rest, they may not be able to get out and go on a hike like they want to or go to the gym and do exercise right. and things like that. So we really try to get a sense of how it's affecting their lifestyle. You can have venous disease and varicose veins that don't necessarily limit your lifestyle, and that's true for some people. But for a lot of people, it really limits the types of things you can do because you're, you just kind of get these tired, heavy legs that, you, you know, you can't really do the things that you want to do. Wow, and that, and that makes and that makes great sense. So, w- take it to the next step. So, what do we do if if I come to you and I've got the problems? What are there are, are there steps before the we do the catheter? Or? Yeah, there there definitely are. So, you know, it's a there's a lot of things that we have to look for um, before we do the treatment. So. I explained the disease process is primarily be, being caused by incompetence in the valves and, and blood flowing that way, but it can also be caused by blood clots in your legs, and this is a secondary result of that. So we always look for a history of that, and we, we scan your legs and make sure there's no signs that you've got some sort of obstructing problem in your veins that could happen from a prior blood clot. Um, and then what we do after, you know, after we take a, a good history from a patient is we do an ultrasound examination and map out the veins and, and look for which veins are incompetent and which veins we might treat. And we, there's, you know, certain published criteria for which we, we right. follow for that. Um, another, another part of our treatment is something called compression. And you've probably seen compression stockings before. And, and so we use prescription per compression stockings for people that just have varicose veins. We, we basically just use it as a, as a trial and a measure to, kind of reassure ourselves that that our treatment is going to, going to work. It's not a long-term solution for symptomatic varicose veins, for, for, but for the patients that have more advanced disease that I described earlier, that have ulcers and things like that, right. we do a combination of the ablation procedures and the compression together in an effort to, to kind of prevent further ulcer formation, things like that. Well, that, I mean, it's, there's, it's amazing. There's a whole new world that, it, it's funny how, we we deal with the basically at the Hudson Games we deal with a basically a healthy population, mm-hmm. but I'm sure there's a segment of that population that has dealt or is dealing with varicose veins, and like a lot of us, we just say you know it's just something it's part of aging. 
you just have to deal with it. But it sounds like there are options for people with these with these problems. Yeah, there definitely are options. And, and unlike other disease processes, this chronic venous insufficiency is not necessarily a reflection of living an unhealthy lifestyle. There's a lot of genetic factors, and it just happens to a lot of people, and there are a lot of people that, that suffer from it. And yes, if you do suffer from it, there are options to help you with those symptoms. So we shouldn't be embarrassed if we've got a problem, we should seek solutions. We, we should. And, um, you know, I mentioned before, sometimes treatments are perceived as cosmetic procedures. Right. Those can be done, but primarily what we do is treat symptomatic veins and disease that causes problems. So this is something that's routinely covered by insurance for patients who meet that criteria. So people may not be aware of that, but uh, usually it is, you know, if this is a symptomatic thing that really impacts your lifestyle in a negative way. So I'd imagine that a patient could come into an office such as yours and, and do a consult to find out if, it was, if their condition is one that would be covered by insurance or not. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're always happy to have anyone come in and see us. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing how fast times go. time goes, but we're running a little low on time. So I just want to ask you one more question. We are the active life. That's the whole purpose of this show is to get people off the couch, get them active, get them going. What would you as a physician, not necessarily in your specialty, but as a physician, what would you say to people that are sitting on the couch that are thinking about it? What would be your advice to them? Well, you know, I think we have the same objective in our practice is we want people to live a healthy lifestyle and we don't want problems like this to interfere with what they are. So if there's, if you have problems like this that we've described that are interfering with you, with your lifestyle, come in and see us and talk to us and see if there's something that we can do for you. Well, I think that's sound advice, don't you, Derek? I do. Well, Dr. Adams, thank you so much for, for joining us. And we also had his lovely assistant, Courtney, in the uh, studio with us. Thanks for joining us, Courtney. Yeah, we didn't give her any mic time. Well, she's hiding in the corner, so we can't. <laughs> but it's nice <laughs> yes, having you here. thank you for joining yeah, us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, Derek. Yes, Jeff. <laughs> It's that time of year. We're running around short of time. <laughs> Always. <laughs> every moment of every day. You, tried, my, you just tried to crack me up, aren't you? My, my checklists are growing longer, and yeah. uh, I'm going to run out of time before I run out of checklist. When does registration end, Derek? Registration ends September 1st, which means very quickly. Uh-huh. Not on the 1st, but after the 1st is done. So Right. The holiday weekend. We'll give you the yeah. holiday weekend. But it's getting close. So if you want to join, if you want to become part of the Husband World Senior Games, now is the time to register. Absolutely. Don't waste. Don't waste any time. Remember that um, we have uh, several sports that are closed because of participation caps, pickleball, uh, shotgun sports. We have bowling that's closed. Are there any others? Um. Just the team sports as far as the teams go. But if you want to play on one of those teams, still sign up. Yeah, go sign up. Well, remember to join us each and every Thursday at 4.30 p.m. for the Huntsman World Senior Games Active Life on Fox News, 1450 a.m. You can also listen to this or previous shows at www.seniorgames.net. If you'd like to register, go to www.seniorgames.net. Click on register. Remember, don't delay. Now, for our quote for the day... Is by Henry David Thoreau. It says, An early morning walk is a blessing for the whole day. That's a nice. Yeah, great nice. way to start. All right, well, until next time, stay active, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> 